It's time for Lacrosse Classified on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Your go-to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. Now, settle down and listen up. It's time for Lax Class. What's up, lacrosse fans? Welcome back to Lacrosse Classified here on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. As we're back for another week, another episode, another class, if you will, Lacrosse Classified episode 142 is now in progress. Thanks for joining us. Jake Elliott, Evan Schemenauer with you once again as Evan. Let's get you in right off the top here. Monster program coming up. Uh, we'll, we'll lay out the details here momentarily. But uh, before we do that, how are things going back there in Saskatoon? It's an absolute scorcher here in, in British Columbia. The entire province is practically on fire. Um, I'm actually pretty proud to say I, I got out in the sun yesterday and, and got myself a, a little bit of a burn before I got some sunscreen on. I was I was pretty rosy last night. But magically, I woke up and I'm and I'm a beautiful bronze right now, which is like the first time that's ever happened uh, in my life. Usually, I just go red and then I peel and then and repeat the pro. But I'm actually I got a little color, so I'm I'm feeling good. Uh, got a little disc golf in this morning. Took in some lacrosse on Friday. Had a great weekend uh, with Danny. What about what about you, man? How's it going? You know, speaking of those fires, you know, we, we we've had some pretty serious ones here in Saskatchewan as well, and. I was looking at my, for those that don't know, my house is solar powered. And um, I was looking at the readings of one day, and it's like a nice sunny day. You can still see the little bit of a haze from the smoke warnings that have been out the days before. And I'm looking at my readings, and I'm like, what's going on here? It's a sunny day. What's happening? And this little thin ray of, of uh, a smoke had dropped my solar readings by 15%, and you couldn't even see it. And I was like, Man, like this, it's crazy how much just a little thing does. Yeah, I was yeah. shocked. But um, you don't you, you know, don't consider that when when purchasing solar panels for your house that it's smoke might uh, yeah. influence your 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 readings or your production. I suppose. Uh, no, but I'm happy I made the investment. It's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know probably uh, 20, 15, 25 years from now, everybody's going to be doing that sort of thing. So good on you for yeah. for leading the charge on that. Uh, what about the weekend? But, you know. Yeah, well, I, I was going to try and make it out to the um, the SWAT games, but when I saw how massive the crowds were, I'm just like, okay, I'm still not comfortable being around that many people. Yeah. But the photos that I was seeing from the arena, it was amazing how many people showed up there this weekend to watch the games between the SWATs and the, SWAT and the minors. Yeah, well, we'll get, a, we'll get an RMLL update from you in quarter number three in quick sticks. Lots of lacrosse going on um, around the country right now and, and North America for that matter. So it's, it's pretty exciting stuff to see kind of everybody getting back in to game mode and and we'll talk about it all in quick sticks so uh, we'll get you updates around the world of box lacrosse uh, along with some other stuff uh quarter four of course stampede stallion of the week my selection this week and uh i'm, I'm quite liking my pick I'll, I'll say that right now i'm not gonna kind of allude to who it may be but uh it's a guy you need to have on this program a little more often yeah an amazing interview yeah he's one of the good ones for sure so we'll we'll let you know who our stallion of the week is in, in quarter four and we're double dipping on interviews this week. In quarter two, of course, it's Calls to the Hall presented by Stampede Tack and Western Wear. 
and we've been kind of waiting to, to get this guy on, and we got him. Uh, he's going to be dropping in kind of in between coaching Junior A lacrosse as none other than speedy Stevie Toll is going to join us here in quarter two for Calls to the Hall. Brand new NLL Hall of Famer, Steve Toll, uh, Panther City, Lacks, all the rest of it, Junior A lacrosse. We're going to talk about it all with Steve Toll and kind of celebrate his illustrious NLL career. And here in uh, quarter number one, we got the big focus coming up here, Evan. And uh, talk about big. We got maybe like one of the most important men in our sport as a whole, as I, I refer to the game of lacrosse. CEO of World Lacrosse, Jim Shearer, back on the program. Of course, you'll remember, Evan, we had Jim back on in 2019, just prior to the World Championships in Langley, which almost seems like a lifetime ago, man. You uh, shacked up with me for like a week here, uh, put in a new toilet in my place and everything. We had a great conversation with Jim Shearer. I don't know why I'm telling people that. Jim Shearer will join us, CEO of World Lacrosse here uh, in the Big Focus and why are we having Jim Shear on? Well, Evan, as as you know, may, maybe people don't know, but lacrosse has been accepted full recognition by the IOC. That doesn't mean we're we're playing lacrosse in the Olympics quite yet, but we're heading down that road. And Jim Shear, a big reason for that. So we're looking forward to this conversation and the big focus. Yeah. Now, like like you said, we're not in the Olympics yet. We're getting close. Um, and I think back. When I was a national rep back on was back then the International Lacrosse Federation. This is how far back I'm talking. And this is something that was a major item of discussion at that board, board meeting back then that I was a part of. And they had been working on this for a very long time. And the number of steps that it took to get World Lacrosse to this stage between merging two organizations and getting everything in place, getting the game the women, the, the men, all, yeah. But getting, you know, the game played on all five continents. The drug testing, I know that's an annoyance for the players if they have to go through random drug testing at the Worlds. Too but bad. It's all part of it, right? Too bad, yeah. And so right now, it's once again another step. There's still probably, there's two big steps that still have to occur from here. One is the acceptance of the games into 2028, and the other one being the Iroquois Nationals recognition. Mm-hmm. But those are things that we'll get into at Jim. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what the latest updates all are. Absolutely. Uh, Jim, just full disclosure, was on with IL uh, Inside Lacrosse's Terry Foy. And I just kind of finished listening to that interview. We're going to talk a lot about the same things. Because, listen, not everybody's listening to Terry Foy's uh, podcast. Not everybody's listening to this. So we want to talk to Jim about it all. And we're more than happy that he's uh, allotted us some time to discuss it. So without further ado, let's get into the big focus. CEO of World Lacrosse, Jim Shear. Big focus. Big focus. Focus. Other than a big focus. Focus. Big focus. The big focus this week here on Lax Class 142 is the sport of lacrosse uh, getting full recognition by the Olympic Committee and, and still 
a couple of steps to go as we welcome the CEO of World Lacrosse, Jim Shear, back to the podcast. Jim, it's been quite some time since we've had a chance to catch up. Uh, we had a chat back in 2019, just prior to the World Box Lacrosse Championships in Langley. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Great, my pleasure. It's gone. Uh, it's been interesting since the since Langley. Uh, in the world and for lacrosse, no question. Yeah, you know, like we were thinking, like I, I mean, it, it's it's only a couple of years ago, but it almost seems like a lifetime ago since what we've we've kind of gone through in in our personal lives and in our work lives and in in the sport. Like lacrosse now, just starting to kind of start to roll back in. It was one of the kind of the last sports to to kind of get going once again. Um, we have a lot of topics we want to cover with you, but I guess. You know, right now, what is happening at, at the World Lacrosse offices as far as what you guys are up to? Well, right now, working on organization of a series of Lacrosse Sixes events. Um, we have um, a, a Pan American Lacrosse Sixes Cup uh, coming in in early September. There's a Home Nations uh, Lacrosse Sixes event in Scotland featuring England, Wales, and Scotland. And we have uh, Lacrosse Super Sixes event in Sparks, Maryland at the USA Lacrosse Headquarters at the end of October featuring Iroquois, um, U.S. and Canada, both men and women's teams. So we're pretty excited about those events. And then we're getting ready for the organization of the, the Women's World Championship in, in Towson um, next summer, as well as the men's U-20 in Limerick, Ireland next summer, and then capping off the summer with the World Games in Birmingham, Alabama. So uh, a lot of work there, and then we're bidding a couple of events for 24. So that's taking up a lot of time. We've got our governance coming up uh, with our General Assembly being held virtually again this year at the end of October, and we're preparing for that. And as always, working with our members and, and trying to grow the game around the world. And correct me if I'm wrong here, when COVID interrupted everybody's lives, in effect, every world championship was pushed back about one year, correct? It was. We pushed, we pushed our, um, um, everything back a, a year, year and a half, and uh, going from there. We're now working on a revised calendar and bidding a cycle for events that would start in 2025. So 2024, we'll have the Box World Championships. Uh, we're bidding those now, and we will have the um, women's U20. But um, beyond that, we're, we're not bidding those events yet until our members have an opportunity to prove, approve a, a revised calendar because, as you know, we can't just go back and catch up. We've got to completely revise. And we've got to fix that, that lacrosse six as well championships into that schedule as well. Well, I'm, I'm glad you just mentioned sixes again because that's definitely a, a topic that we want to talk about here, Jim. And and I, like, I, I think myself, like a lot of people, have been a little bit indifferent to, to the game of sixes. Like, I, I still don't really know how I have, like, my opinion on, like, I, I still want to see it. I want to see more of it. I want to. I, I kind of want to see how it's played, and before I, I really formulate a concrete opinion on it, my my biggest fear is that we're we're straying a little too far away from from one discipline or another. But on the other hand, like I want to keep an open mind on this this new format because I may love it, and I think others may as well. 
But I, I think what, what people maybe need to keep in mind here is why we've gone to sixes. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, Jim. Maybe I can allude to a few, but, you know, it, it allows more nations access to the game. It's easier to kind of pick up with less players and the facilities that, that maybe some countries have or don't have. I think it's going to be a little more TV friendly for an, uh, for an Olympic broadcast. Um, and, and it's more, more easy to play for both the men and the women. Have I missed any kind of key points on why this sixes was born? All right. Well, I'm going to turn around and interview you and, and you can come work on the world across side because you did a pretty good job there. I love it. Um, but a couple of parts, a couple of parts of your question. First, you know, we, the rules are still what we would call um, not fully finished. They were, we had a number of trials for the first year and we adjusted the rules during the course of that year. And then, and then our officiating uh, councils went, went away and came back with, um, rules that will be played this first full year of actual competition. And I think we're all anticipating this is going to evolve and develop as players get used to it, as coaches get used to it, as defenses evolve, as offenses evolve. And it, it will still be open to significant rule change if, if required. Um, but I think we're pleased with where we're at, but we know we know being world across and nobody associated with us, our officiating groups or our, um, our membership are saying this is set in stone. Um, cause we, we, and the reason we have all these events, um, the rest of this year and early 2022 is to get a better idea of how this looks with elite athletes playing it with, with something on the line, something to play for. So we're still doing that, but why we developed it. Um, as we looked at this sport and our strategic plan in back as far as late 2017, we believe that a smaller-sided discipline would help the sport in two ways. First, and the primary goal is that, um, and, and not ideally not for North America, but parts of North America, but this would help the game grow around the world. Places where um, they can't execute leagues or uh, put together teams because they don't have enough players, both men and women's, um, and fields are in short supply. Equipment is difficult to come by, and uh, time to have the fields is in short supply. So we, we believed, um, and based on input from our members, that a smaller-sided discipline would help the game take off and grow in parts of the world. We also thought, as a discipline at World Championship Competition, um, and we have no plans to change anything with box or the full field game. And those will continue to be primary okay. disciplines for us. But we thought this would be a discipline in world championship competition that might allow some other countries to compete for medals um, with a smaller sized roster, compressing talent. Um, it might shorten the competitive gap between those countries that can medal and those that cannot. So those were all, all key reasons. One of the other things we did as we developed the discipline, we looked at what would fit into a, an Olympic format. What, what um, running time of games, um, how would a tournament look, uh, what kind of fields would, would we need, uh, what does the broadcast complexity look like, um, how can we aim this at 
um, in-venue fans that might be wanting to go to multiple events in a multi-sport competition during a day. Um, also a TV audience that's fragmented with a short attention span and taking all that into account um, came up with uh, and put those into um, what was now lacrosse sixes. So all of those reasons were, were things we took into account. Now we didn't develop this solely or as a primary goal to get into the Olympics, but if we look at getting into the Olympics and we certainly looked at that as a, as a factor when we developed this, there's virtually um, no way or significant difficulties to getting the full rosters for the field game into the Olympic now, into the Olympics now, yeah. um, just because of the extreme pressure on numbers. The IOC has capped the Olympic Games at 10,500 athletes. Every athlete belonging to a, a provisional sport, which lacrosse would be in Los Angeles if we were selected, would be taking an athlete away from the existing um, international federations or other provisional sports because it's a zero-sum game all fitting under the 10,500 cap now. So we feel we're a lot better off at 160 or 200 athletes total between the two disciplines versus um, almost double that. So um, it it just came out to a numbers game at one level. Yeah, and I I think that that's really important. Like what you mentioned there earlier is that the box game and the field game, as far as the world championships aren't going anywhere though, those, those are still going to be played. This is very, uh, an Olympic specific discipline here. And I think that adds like a pretty neat wrinkle to it all. As we speak with the CEO of world lacrosse, Jim Shear here, that like, this is a clean slate for every member nation. And, I think at the end of the day, the talent is going to rise to the top and the top teams will be the top teams. But like, I really think that whoever can come up with the right strategies and techniques coaching wise and and figure this game out the fastest is going to have a real leg up in this competition. Like everybody's starting from the same kind of pole position here and and it's going to be a race to see who figures it out. It it will. And and an unfortunate aspect of it is, you know, there are some positions that, that won't cross over as easily. Um, and so you're you're losing some of your athlete population potentially. Um, obviously, and I'm, I'm not a lacrosse expert um, in terms of, of coaching or having played the game. But, you know, people that have, I'm assuming, people that have played box will, will transition more quickly and midfielders will be uh, more valued and successful. And But the same thing happened with rugby sevens. Right. Um, you know, the big guys in the, in the scrum are, uh, are not in the side. Yeah, like it's going to um, be a well-rounded, all-around kind of five-tool player that I think is really going to excel at this discipline. Exactly. Yep. Now, a lot of fans have always asked me, what is taking so long to get lacrosse into the Olympics? And every last one of them that asked me that, I wish I had had in these board meetings when I was a national rep on the ILF 15 years ago. And this laundry list of stuff that we had to accomplish back then just to get lacrosse to where it needed to be. I guess, what are the key milestones that have been hit and the key milestones that still need to be hit uh, before we get to Los Angeles? Great question. Oh, um, and, you know, the first part of that, um, people in the lacrosse community you know, will look at 
well, skateboarding is in the Olympics and breaking is in the Olympics. Um, and they got in in Paris. And why isn't lacrosse in? Well, we were not eligible to be even apply for the Olympics until we received full recognition um, what, uh, a few days ago. So we are now just only now eligible. And our first opportunity, having become eligible, will be for Los Angeles. But if you look back at the ILF and the IFWLA merger, the Men and Women's International Federations, respectively, which occurred in 2008, and this effort began in earnest, if you would go to most sports who have been trying to achieve recognition from the International Olympic Committee and say, well, you started in 2008 and you were recognized 13 years later in 2021, um, they would say that's light speed. Yeah. Um, because some of the sports that were just recognized have been trying for 40 or 50 years to be recognized, uh, in the case of Sambo. And, so, and why was lacrosse um, recognized so fast? Why was lacrosse recognized so fast? Just because of the infrastructure that was already in place, the history of the game, and kind of uh, they, they had a head start in that regard? Well, I think that, you know, the group that was leading the International Federation, the FIL, did a good job in their applications for membership to um, the Association of International Members of Sports, the World Games, some of those things that are prerequisites to applying to the IOC. And then I think we had the right mix of, of leadership at the board and staff level and, and um, a good process in our application to achieve provisional recognition and, and um, good influence at the top with the IOC leadership and, and getting full recognition. But the basic building blocks of the sport are there and have been there and have been building since the mid-70s in terms of the number of nations playing lacrosse, strength of the game in North America, um, you know, the intrinsic values that the game uh, demonstrates and possesses and, and the fact that it is an incredibly attractive sport. So I think all of those things together helped lacrosse move up relatively quickly, even though people <laughs> familiar with the sport that may not know the IOC might be thinking, wow, this is taking forever. So I guess then now going from this point forward, what milestones do we still need to achieve? Well, we'll have to continue to work with with the IOC and, and, and continue to grow as an international federation and continue to promote the game and the brand of World Lacrosse and the game of Lacrosse to the IOC and the IOC members and the international sport community because it's not a well-known sport outside of of people who play the game, and we need to continue to grow that profile. Um, we also need to continue to grow the number of member nations, and we have a goal to get to 100 by the end of 2024. We're at 70 now, wow. and we've continued to grow very quickly. Um, and then we need to continue to build our um, fan following and our digital following for the sport, which has grown significantly in the last two years. Um, and profile of our of our world events. If we do all of those things, uh, we'll be in position to have a strong application to the Los Angeles 2028 Organizing Committee, which, if they follow past timelines, would occur in the fall of 2023 with the decision by the IOC uh, before the Paris Olympic Games in 2024 as to which sports will be added to the LA 2028 Games. And that would make, if successful in that, that would make lacrosse a provisional sport on the games of the Allied program. We would then try to apply for um, the 
um, games in 2032, which will be in Brisbane, Australia, another another good country for lacrosse. So, um, ultimately, the goal would be to become a a full time Olympic sport if we're successful in becoming a provisional sport. So, uh, but the but the next major uh, milestone is having the LA 2028 Organizing Committee review and recommend lacrosse to the IOC, and that we believe will happen in late 2023. And uh, we think because of the strength of the sport in North America and the attractiveness of the game uh, as a universal game, we think we have a good opportunity. But there are a lot of sports competing for those spots and a lot of other sports who think they have great opportunities as well. Of course, of course. As we speak with the CEO of World Lacrosse, Jim Shearer, and and I think it was probably pretty strategic to kind of line this up timeline-wise with L.A., feeling pretty confident that you will get that invite in in 2028. Uh, You mentioned up to 70 countries, and and we kind of see it every now and then. Another country gets added, another country gets added. Um, Before I ask my next question, I just kind of, I'm curious, what, what, what's the prerequisite or, or standard or template that you need to have to become a member of World Lacrosse? Well, our development committee reviews those applications and our, our internal development staff works with prospective mem- members in helping develop um, those uh, criteria and requirements or prerequisites. And, and that is having, um, you know, strong leadership, strong structure to support the game in their country. Um, they have to have some lacrosse on the ground. Um, they've got to be committed to um, gender um, equity and developing men and women's programs. And um, other than that, there's no there's no minimums as far okay. as you, know, you have to have this many coaches and officials. And But we do want to see um, lacrosse being played on the ground and uh, a sustainable program in place that um, will help develop the sport in our country long-term and a sustainable government structure uh, to uh, to support that that growth. And and one of those nations that has lacrosse on the ground is you know established himself as one of the top countries or or nations in the world at the sport is the Iroquois Nationals. And I know there's there's some moving pieces going on right now with with the Nationals program kind of taking over the Haudenosaunee Women's program and and merging there and uh, they're trying to get the women's program going, which is which is super important and, and really necessary for them to, to gain full access and, and be recognized as an IOC competitor. And, and there's more hurdles for them to clear as well, uh, as far as having a, a governing body and a committee at the IOC. Like, can you kind of lay out all the steps that the Iroquois still need to, to clear for them to, to really be granted full access into the Olympics. We know they're they're going to be in Birmingham at the World Games, which is absolutely fantastic, but still more work to be done for them to, to get into the Olympics as well. Yeah, essentially we, got, we, got, we were successful in getting an exception into the World Games uh, because the World Games follows the IOC rules where um, international federations qualify governing bodies for the event but those governing bodies have to be represented by a National Olympic Committee. Um, and if you want to enter athletes into the Olympic Games, you don't enter them through your governing body. You enter them through your National Olympic Committee. So if you're a swimmer or a wrestler or a gymnast in the U.S., 
you're not entered into the Olympic Games by USA Gymnastics or USA Wrestling or USA Swimming, you're entered by the U.S. Olympic Committee. Um, those NGBs submit their athlete nominations to the Olympic Committee, and the Olympic Committee forwards those on to the IOC. So essentially, to be eligible according to the existing rules, the Iroquois Nationals or the Haudenosaunee Confederacy itself will have to have a National Olympic Committee. And World Lacrosse has informed them of this as early as uh, January 2019 and continue to support their efforts to develop their own uh, National Olympic Committee, which, which if they do, and if that National Olympic Committee is recognized by the IOC, it would make them fully eligible for participation in the Olympic Games. And they would have until, if we're in 2028, they would have until 2027 to have that NOC up and running and recognized by the IOC. If that doesn't happen, we will, we, World Cross, will still seek an exempt, exec, exception or an exemption for the Iroquois Nationals, uh, both men and women, to participate in the Olympic Games if they do qualify for the Okay. Because I was, um, was going to ask you about... assume they would, and, and presuming lacrosse is in, which is a hurdle we have not yet. Yeah, and cool. and I just cool. I wanted to add on to that, Jim, and, and like to become a full fledged member of the IOC, I believe they have that men and women need to participate, which is have, has been a bit of an issue so far. But not only in the sport of lacrosse, like I believe they need to compete in at least five disciplines, uh, other sports, for them to gra- be granted full. Is that is that correct? The National Olympic Committee of any nation to be recognized by the IOC has to have a minimum of five sports that they uh, have as members and are actively developed in their country. Okay. That's a, that's a basic IOC requirement for a national Olympic committee. Okay. And the, and the one before I let Evan that's- jump in here is, is that I just, I wanted to ask, and it's, like, it's a question, I think, Jim, that that's not going to be an easy one to, to answer, but I think it's one that a lot of people want to have tried to be answered. And that is, if the Iroquois are denied access to the Olympics, will the sport of lacrosse go and compete without them? Well, that's a that's actually a great question. So let me preface the answer first by saying lacrosse is not yet in and has a long ways to go to be in as a sport. Second, if lacrosse is selected as a sport, as part of that process, world lacrosse will do everything in our power to help the Iroquois Nationals become eligible. Um, if if we get in, if our efforts to support them fail, then I think that question is best answered by our 70 member nations and whether or not they would still want to participate okay. and whether or not the Iroquois Nationals themselves would want the sport to go ahead without them. And, um, and I don't, as of yet, um, I think they would, they would say yes, but um, I don't know the answer to that. We, we, meaning World Across, certainly don't want to go ahead without them. We would love to have them in the games. They're an important country competitively. They're one of our important members, but more importantly, as, as um, anybody in the game knows, we, we all feel a great um, debt of gratitude for Iroquois having uh, developed the game um, and, and given it to the world. So uh, we, we all would certainly want to see them in the games. One of the things that even was contentious issue, like I said, 15 years ago, 
was the World Anti-Doping Agency, and it's something that World Lacrosse and all its predecessors have been uh, cooperating with for some time. Has there been any indication as to how the player pool starts to change or things that World Anti-Doping may get involved as lacrosse gets closer to being recognized into the games? Well, we, we're signatory to, to VADA and the World Anti-Doping Code. Um, we do some of our doping through the International Testing Agency, which is an international body that um, was um, developed by the IOC for that purpose. We will be over, as we grow and as our events grow and as events become more important and, and the sport starts to get more commercial and we continue to develop and potentially get in the Olympic Games, we will do more and more testing. Um, and the players will have to, one, um, all educate themselves to compliance with the WADA code and comply and be tested both in and out of competition. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to test athletes 25 times a year like some sports do because, you know, we just don't have that profile as a sport yet. But we will begin more testing and, and having a great anti-doping education program, a great deterrent through testing is all very important for World Lacrosse um, as our development as a sport and as our uh, Olympic ambitions move forward. Speaking with Jim Shear, CEO of World Lacrosse, and, and I, I know this oh. is another question that a lot of fans want, want answered, Jim, and is there anything the lacrosse community can do as a whole to – to help world lacrosse and help the sport gain access into the Olympics? Well, I think um, as with the development of the NLL and, and its continued expansion, as with the development of the PLL, as with the development of our events, I think there's two things. One, we all need to consume lacrosse and, and support it um, as a, as a consumer, whether it's um, going out to an event, um, buying merchandise, following it online, um, following the broadcast, following the streams. However we can support the sport as consumers will help it grow and, and prosper. Second, um, positivity is a huge factor. If, if we as fans of the game uh, all support it and all support its Olympic inclusion, um, I think that goes a long ways towards, towards helping um, our Olympic ambitions. I guess one question on, because I'm a data guy, that's what I do for a living. Um, do we have any projections, either ones you've created yourselves or indications from other sports federations that recently joined the Olympic movement as to what the anticipated growth rate of the sport is once it does join the Olympic program? We're working, we're working on getting some more finite numbers around that now. Um, we have a lot of anecdotal evidence and, and other evidence um, based on rugby sevens and three-on-three um, -three basketball and golf and other sports that have either been added to the Olympic program or new disciplines added, um, like in the case of basketball or um, golf and skateboarding and rock climbing and some others that you know, have experienced exponential growth um, in their in their sport through Olympic participation. And it's happened on the Winter Olympic side. It happens on the um, Summer Olympic side. 
Uh, we just want to put some more rigorous study around that. Um, but but we know the effects are pretty strong in growth at the grassroots level of of new clubs and new coaches and new new member more members and clubs. We also think it's um, very helpful and a lot of evidence of uh, sport ministries and national Olympic committees embracing the sport and uh, supporting it at a much higher level financially uh, once it's in the Olympic Games or even regional multi-sport competitions like Asian Games or Pan-American Games. We also know that it's a much easier sell around the world to parents and clubs and administrators who are controlling facilities and resources and access that if you're on the Olympic program or on the program of a multi-sport event, it's a much easier sell to say, hey, would you like to, we would like to start a lacrosse club and we want to use your infrastructure. It's a tremendously easier sell um, from an Olympic vantage point than than a non-Olympic vantage point. So all of those things are very, very important and, and we'll continue to work on some more rigorous um, analytics around it. Right. And I guess from a financial standpoint, would the expectation be that Lacrosse Canada would be able to access money from programs, say, like Own the Podium and other uh, national funding Absolutely. programs? That- Absolutely. They would have. Well, we would anticipate, no question, that Canada would be able to access um, Sport Canada or Own the Podium type programs, which they stole. Um, they stole that name and concept from, from me when I was at the U.S. Olympic Committee. So, oh, really? Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I did not know that. Well, one of the primary um, outside consultants who helped them develop that program and their internal employee, both one worked at the Salt Lake Games and one worked for me at the USOC. So um, no question, our podium program, we launched for Salt Lake and ended up Taking our medal count from thirteen to thirty-four medals. Yeah. Uh, worked for um, worked for Canada in, in twenty ten. Yeah, worked for Canada in twenty ten, like then, the best ever, right? Yeah. So our podium program was the first one, and then Canada used the own the podium program, <laughs> even taking it a step further. <laughs> okay, there it is. They just added a word in there, Jim. Uh, man, I, I can't thank you enough for for spending some time with us here on Lax Class again and. Listen, I, I, I know you're, you're just one of, of many there at World Lacrosse, but to you and, and Daryl and Amanda and Steve Govett and even Josiah and, and everybody involved in World Lacrosse that has got us to this point, uh, thank you for, for everything that, that you've done and continue to do to push our sport forward. We, we, I know I do. I know many other people do appreciate it so much. So thank you, and uh, I know this is pretty apropos here because you being a former Olympian, the Olympics are happening now. I know you're a big wrestling guy, so uh, enjoy watching a little wrestling at the Olympics, and I'm sure as as things progress here and we move closer to L.A., we'll get you back on and and have another conversation if you're up for it. Well, thanks. Appreciate that. I'm I'm not as big a wrestling guy as I used to be. I've shrunk a lot. Um, (laughs) But um, just on the thanks, we appreciate that. But really... Uh, I think those of us at World Across um, do feel a tremendous sense of appreciation for not only the leadership groups uh, for the men and women's international federations that toiled in the sport from the 70s uh, you know, until 2008, but the thousands and thousands of volunteers and parents and coaches and officials 
you make the sport happen on a daily basis because you know we get to sit at the at the top here and and uh, steward the sport but there is no sport there is no success without all of those individuals who make up this great sport and those are the those are the people that um, we really owe a, owe a debt of gratitude and have a huge sense of appreciation for uh, as as do I. And listen, uh, I don't know if there's like an application form or whether I just send my resume to a, a certain email address, but you can let me know that. I'd be more than happy to, to come and help out at World Lacrosse if you'll have me. Be happy to have you. All right. All the help we can get. Okay, sounds good. Jim, thanks again, and uh, thanks. we look forward to, to seeing where, where you take us, and, and we'll chat again. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We appreciate you. That was CEO of World Lacrosse right there, Jim Shear. Back on the podcast, Evan, and very candid conversation, I might add, uh, relaying a lot of valuable information on, on where we've we've been and where we're going in the sport of lacrosse. That was a great conversation there. Yeah. Uh, now, keep in mind, it's one stepping stone, but it's the critical stepping stone to getting that recognition, like he said, in late 2023, to get the acceptance and your two keys at that point are, one, the viewership that you're going to get. These kids in places of the world that have never seen lacrosse they are going to get a stick in their hands because they've seen a game on television. Or two, the funding support that you get from these Massive. national bodies. Massive. That will help develop full-time athletes. You betcha. That was wonderful from Jim Shear. We got to take a quick break. We got a Hall of Famer coming up in quarter number two. Speedy Stevie Toll calls to the hall is next here on Lacrosse Classified on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Associated Labels and Packaging, a fun family company that offers premium quality labels and packaging with unparalleled service. With 40 years of experience, an extensive product catalog, and an ever-growing fleet of equipment, Associated Labels and Packaging is the perfect fit to take your labels and packaging to the next level. This is NLL Hall of Famer Reggie Thorpe. You're listening to Last Class, your go-to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. Welcome back to Lax Class. Into the second quarter we are as, uh, well, just before we get to our calls to the hall, I want to let you know Associated Labels and Packaging and what they do. They're the best in the business when it comes to labels and packaging. Why? Well, they're a fun family company that offers premium quality labels and packaging with unparalleled service. Over 40 years of experience, extensive product catalog, and an ever-growing fleet of equipment. Associated Labels and Packaging is the perfect fit to take your labels and packaging to the next level. AssociatedLP.com is where you can find them. Uh, We found this guy. He's on the line right now. He's a brand new NLL Hall of Famer. We're going to talk about it all with the man they call Speedy. It's Steve Toll on the podcast. Welcome to Lax Glass, Steve Toll, and congratulations on being inducted into the NLL Hall of Fame. How are you, man? Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. No, it's uh, thank you for all that introduction. It's uh, feels weird hearing that before my name, but uh, obviously it's an unbelievable feeling. I'm not gonna lie to you guys. Yet. Yeah. Well, walk me through it, man. Uh, you obviously knew you're up for nomination. Where were you? What was happening when you got the call? And what was the reaction? Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny. Even about the nomination, like um, 
they said, a couple of the guys said, uh, they're looking to get a hold of you. Brian Lemon's looking to get a hold of you. And I'm thinking, I wonder why. I said, I actually didn't do anything wrong this time. I'm like, what, <laughs> what are they trying to call me for? I'm like, hey, I didn't do anything bad. So, uh, and then he calls and said, just so I, you know, you've been one of, uh, one of uh, 20 guys or whatever was nominated, and uh, this is who's going to be voting, and we will let you know at a further day what happens. And obviously, the worst thing was I've had a I've had a rough time with phones, and uh, Mr. French there couldn't get a hold of me on oh, the no. day of. So I was actually working, and then a couple guys weren't supposed to tell me, but of course, Sean Williams is a very good friend of mine, obviously. He's like, will you please call French and find out? Because I was getting all fired up nervous. And, yeah, so it was pretty cool, and he called, and he's like, yeah, and he actually goes, yeah, I left a message for you. And I didn't have the heart to say, yeah, you left a message on someone else's phone, buddy, because it wasn't oh, mine. no yeah. way. <laughs> but, so, uh, so somebody thinks they're in the Hall of Fame and they're not. Yeah. <laughs> so it was hilarious. So, and he's like, congratulations. Uh, you got voted in one of the D guys and all that stuff. So, I was, you know, I went from there. But, no, I was uh, – I called my uh, called my mom right away, and she was, she was on the golf course, actually. And she was yelling to the other girls, and they were all fired up yelling on the golf course. And I could hear someone say, be quiet to them but yeah it was uh it was awesome and we you know you talked about the guys you're the original transition player of the year winner but this is a term this transition player that has seemed to have disappeared now that you're a defensive coach do you look at guys as you having 10 d guys that a few guys just happen to be good at running the ball up the floor or do you focus on a few transition players if it were yeah, it's, it's kind of that mix because, I mean, like I'm not going to lie to you, defensively, I wasn't the greatest. I mean, I think one of the things guys like playing with me, though, I did lots of talking. So, you know, if they were getting it picked or and, – and two, to me, I just knew my role. Like, I knew, say, we were playing Rochester. I wasn't picking up John Grant or Casey Powell. <laughs> and obviously the, the – You're cherry picking matchups back there, Tony. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, obviously, I, I, I was looking, I mean, obviously, the fifth guy isn't, like, obviously, he was a great player, but I'm like, okay, I see the guy I'm grabbing, and this is how it works, and I think, I think that's what it is, and that's what I try to install, guys, I'm like, you don't have to be the mean, tough guy, if that's your role, if you're a runner, you just gotta know to pass guys along, and try to stay up high, so you can get that transition, so either, even in Fort Worth, now with the new gig in Fort Worth, I think we're gonna have a mixture, and Hopefully some guys can run the floor. But nowadays, I mean, today's athletes, and you guys would know this firsthand. I mean, kids are just different breeds oh, right man. now. They're, I mean, they're they just, all. they're all horses now. Like, yeah. I mean, just built huge, run fast. Like, I mean, if guy comes out of shape, even a little out of shape back in the day, like we would have looked awful nowadays. You know what I mean? It'd be like, holy, who's the chummy guys, eh? It was like, well, yeah. look, I mean, like that, like Colin Doyle, that was one of his chirps to me when we were playing senior A lacrosse. He'd look at me and he'd go, hey, Jumbo, you, you realize that they call me fat in the NLL, right? And I'd be like, oh, man, like, what do you say to that? Like, I got no comeback for that whatsoever. Um, as we speak with Steve Toll here, and, and, and Steve, like I – I, I talk about this a lot, about the fact that there's just some guys that kind of get it on when. It's like an anticipate. Like, you can't coach when to kind of take off the top and, and look for those breakaway opportunities where you're not getting cooked on defense on a regular basis, but you're you're effective and you're still getting breakaways. And I know you had one of the best in Whipper lobbing you balls off the turf and scoop and all the rest of it, you know, leading you out there 20 yards to run onto it. But yeah. where does that – like, is that just something you think you're kind of born with that anticipation of knowing when to break off the top because you're going to have an opportunity? 
I, I, I think there's a little of that for sure, definitely. And like you said, obviously, Watson and Jimmy V, I'm not going to lie, they definitely made me look a lot better. But, uh, no, I honestly, you know what it is? Just reading the play and knowing the bounces and where the other guys are. I mean, no offense to a lot of old guys, but their favorite thing to do after they rip the ball is not really to get back. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> just, just anticipating. But then also, like, I mean, Les Bartley always said to me, he goes, Toll, he goes, I like the way you play, but he goes, if you give one up, you better get two. So that was my always thing. As long as I was on the plus side, if I gave up three and had a couple goals and a couple assists, he was okay with it. It was those negative games where he kind of gave me the look like, you're leaving early. Yeah. You're leaving yeah. early. Quit cheating. You know what I mean? Yeah. Quit cheating. <laughs> I mean, early in your pro career, you had two guys like that. Like you had, uh, you had Bartley, you had Derek Keenan couldn't possibly get better than that. Yeah. What were the key lessons you took away from those guys? Um, just playing. I mean, realistically through less, I mean, uh, I mean, li- living in St. Catharines and growing up with them, obviously I knew about them and Johnny Marine actually went to high school with my parents. So they knew of them. And like I said, they talked me out of leaving hockey and coming back and just the life lessons of now that I've taught now, I'm like learning through coaching is, you know what? I mean, it's all about being together and you know what? You got to respect every minute of it. Cause you never know when something's going to be taken away from you and just live every game, play every game. It's like your last game and leave it all on the floor. And like he always said, if, if every guy does their role, and he was always his pregame speech, he always gave me, what are you going to bring to the table, Toll? And I'd say speed, and he'd get all fired up. And he'd, go on, he'd, go, he'd go to the next guy, what are you going to bring? And Coyle say, hit somebody. You know what I mean? It just went on and on. And, you know, he just just that intensity and the love for the game. And even now, too, I mean, I just love I love giving back to the kids and seeing them get better. And, you know what I mean? Just, just coaching is just an unbelievable feeling. Yeah, we want to talk about the coaching career, but still more to chat about your Hall of Fame career. Yeah. That spans 16 years in the National Cross League, starting back in 1998 with the Raiders, who of course turned into the Toronto Rock, and 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 then you know like a, a good handful of years in Rochester. You finish off with Colorado and in Edmonton in 2012. But I, like I'm looking through the Wikipedia here a little bit, Toller, and Minto yep. Cups, Man Cups, NLL championships. I'm looking like your stats here, man. In in 2000, like you're putting up offensive. St- player stats as a transition player in 02 and 03, but I guess where I'm going with all of it, is there a season or two that sticks out more than the rest over that 16 years for you? Um, I would probably say that 02, 03 year for definitely sure. And I would say 07 in Rochester when I won the first ever uh, uh, transition player of the year, I think the streak that we went on there and those were my two. And and it's funny because even though I'm competitive and I love when other players get it and I, no offense ever to winners, but, to me, if I probably played in those years, maybe five or six offensive shifts almost in a season, I'd be surprised. I would play maybe late in the power play just so they didn't get rever- reverse transition, but I wasn't going to shoot it. You know what I mean? Like I was, I, I ran the ball up and I either got an assist or a goal or I got off. You know what I mean? I, I was leaving it to Stroopy and all the other boys on the lineup to get in there. So, I mean, it, it's weird because you see the, he's a transition player. Then you see him at the top of the power play. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, well, it's funny. It's funny because actually Kyle Matisse just got out of the car. He's coaching with me. Okay. In, well, uh, say out of the mirrors yeah. for me. I got to, you can say yeah, out of the so, mirrors for so, me. I, I mean, so there's a the guy that's a great transition player, but he also could be top of the power play and top of the penalty kill. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's that good. Absolute so, weapon. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like for me, it's just, I was transitioned and that's what I think scared teams about me. And my biggest probably compliment I ever received 
was probably from Eddie Como when he said, you know what, Tony goes, teams make offensive plays so you don't get goals against them. Yeah. So you know I mean? it kind of like tooted my own horn. And I'm always the guy. I don't mind tooting my own horn. When you're while, on the yeah. scouting report, man, uh, as a threat, that that's it. And it, listen, like I, we've talked to all the Hall of Famers uh, here, and, and I think one common thread is obviously the longevity, but you don't have longevity without great health. And I'm and again, I'm looking at the games played over 200 in the NLL, 16, 16, 60. You go down the list, you you're in the lineup every single night. Um, so was that something you had to work hard on, or did did you was there a little bit of luck? And I'm sure you there were some games in there where you probably shouldn't have been playing, but you were. You know what? Actually, I don't. I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I probably was the least. Like, I mean, Dave. Mur- I'm the least flexible guy. Dave Murray, the trainer of trots, ever seen in his life. <laughs> I was fed. I was white fettuccine alfredo on the road, which he gave me the dirty look about all the time. I I wasn't a coffee drinker, but I'm a huge pop drinker, oh, and he man. used to go nuts and wonder why how I was so fast. And I'm not realistically. I think I maybe. Maybe was banged up one or two times. And again, I'm not going to say it. I wasn't the big banger. And realistically, even like certain guys say, don't even, if you just left me alone, I wasn't going to cross check. I was going to try to pick out the pass. I'll leave you alone. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. I laugh because I know these play. guys. Like I've had these guys on the floor just saying, like, you know, Jumbo, don't yeah. don't slash my wrists and I won't run by you, sort yeah. of thing. You're, you were that guy. Yeah, and, and the best is like Cole said when I was with Colorado. He's like, I think you use the same shaft tool all sixteen years or whatever you play. Because I didn't cross check anyway. <laughs> so he's like, yeah. So he was giving me the gears, but no, I honestly, I just, I put it like you said for sure. It's definitely you got to have some luck involved too. You know what I mean? One hundred percent luck and certain things on your side in situations. But, uh, I, I, but to me too, like. I, I thought I played every game as hard as I could play. You know what I mean? Like, I was I was definitely tired after every game from running up and down. That's for well, sure. tell me this. Tell me this. Uh, you know, it's one thing to get the opportunities and the breakaways, and a lot of guys get them, but they don't finish. You were a guy that when the chances came, you popped it in. Uh, d- every guy's kind of got their favorite corner or favorite move. What was what was the go-to, and then what was the backup if, if the go-to was taken away? I was definitely a fake high-five-hole guy, definitely. Definitely a fake high five hole, and the backup was run as fast as I can and just give a quick little fake and go far side. Okay. Just try to beat you around him on the speed. Those are, and it was weird. I, like no offense to certain goalies, but I loved shooting breakaways on skinny goalies. I didn't have the best luck on say Patty O'Toole and all those guys, but I, 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 I like the skinnier goalies. I'm not, I mean Dallas Alex was good, but I like I like my chances on him on a breakaway. Uh-huh. There were certain goals. I like the skinny goalies. Okay, yeah, I like the skinny goalies. <laughs> I'm not gonna say one of your Vancouver boys was my favorite, Dwight Mackey. Oh yeah, light, yeah. Light, Even though I, I got a couple light. on him uh, over the over yeah, the years. Yeah, I there. liked lighting the lamp on him. One game in Vancouver, I still remember. I think I had four in the first on him, oh, and man. I was feeling it that game. <laughs> one of your fellow inductees is John Grant Jr., guy you got to play with when it's prime of his career. As a teammate, do you even have those? I can't believe what I just saw moments when you're playing with Junior. Oh, there's so many of them. I mean, like I said, all those years in Rochester and Team Canada field and box. Oh, for sure. I mean, he just ceases to amaze every time. And the best thing is 
he gets he gets more I don't know trickier is the word, but he gets more creative. That's the word. More creative almost every year and every shot and some of the things he does. And the best is just I mean, being on being on the bench watching it. And then if it went in, you'd see the coach's face. But then if he did something stupid, missed it by five feet, they get reverse transition, watching the coach's face. That was probably my favorite thing about when he did something creative. Whether it went in and he was a good boy or went in and Junior got in trouble when he got on the bench. But yeah. <laughs> Quick. But yeah, no, for sure. Quick His moves were unbelievable. Quick junior, junior first time I, I ever really kind of witnessed junior being junior, I think was the 07 man cup. And he was the Burrow was shorthanded and he's standing along the half wall in the offensive zone and, and the double teams kind of closing in. You know, one guy's taking high, one guy's taking low, and they're they're creeping in on him. Junior's got a stick kind of dangling down at his knee, and I'm thinking, like, what's he gonna do here? He blindly bounces it off the concrete, off the boards. It loops over the two defenders. He splits through them and catches the ball blindly back over his head and goes for a run. I was just like, what the hell did I just see? Like, I've yeah. never seen anybody do something like that before. Yeah, and well, actually, if, you, if you're looking at that, like I think the Wikipedia, my first year senior, because St. Catharines didn't have a senior team. So I got drafted by Peterborough, lived with good old Teddy Higgins, and I uh, played my first year senior with John Grant Jr. We've yeah, I think he had about 140 points. I had my definitely my best year senior, just passing in the ball. But it was funny because that was the Six Nation days of like Miles General with a Woody stick, oh, uh, Brian Shanahan with a Woody stick, and I just please kept saying, "Junior's the best player in the league. Junior's the best player. Yeah, get go over there, get and him. Junior. Yeah, go don't slash him. Junior. Don't slash me. <laughs> oh yeah, you want to talk about fast? I was fast back then. I tell you. <laughs> One of the things where is a common theme amongst also a number of the guys that are coming through the Hall of Fame now is this 06 World Field Championship team, the team that broke the Americans' 28-year winning streak. Tell me about your thoughts of that tournament and what it meant to beat the Americans at their own game back then. Well, I mean, that game was unbelievable. I mean, 98, actually, too, when we lost. And oh, kind of tap- oh. Yeah, and Tapper says, and that was, I actually wasn't even on the team, but a gentleman got hurt, and they called me up, and I never played field in 98. And I still, I funny, probably about two weeks ago, I decided to watch that game again. And Tapper, who I actually coach uh, little lacrosse, field lacrosse here with in Canada, he goes, oh, I won that faceoff right to you. I'm like, you <laughs> lost the faceoff. It got kicked kicked me and I'm like I could have I actually never knew what I was doing I could have made one that one but 06 06 was unbelievable I mean we uh we came together and uh Frankie good old Frankie Nielsen a good old western boy good old Frankie brought us together we had hunts and we had the boys all together and uh and obviously the late great Chris Anderson who was was one of the greatest guys in field across goalies of all time. He was the backbone in T Fair, just the group oh, we had. T Fair, there's I, a name. There's a name. There, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I still remember. I still remember, like, when the Americans were playing Iroquois and Coyle and Fair would walk behind the fence and just try to scare them. We're going to beat you up. I don't care if I get suspended. I'm going to take it. Oh, yeah. They used Pat, to hey, Patty those. Coyle, he got real personal when it came to the chirps. Eh? Like, nothing was offside for him. He'd go at your wife, your mother. Like, like <laughs> the, he, he broke the code when it came to, to beacon off. Yeah, he, he 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 wasn't shy, but I'm not gonna lie. With those Americans, he might have took it a little beyond offside. But I mean, I I'm just I'm standing behind the two of them. I don't care what they say; they can do what they want. Yeah, I like I like just a quick Pat Coyle story here. Like we're playing like club field lacrosse on a Sunday afternoon in Coquitlam or something, and and Patty gets rang up for like a, a minute slash and wasn't too happy about it, and said something to the official. He gave him another minute, and he just looked over and he goes like. 
Are you having problems at home with your wife right now? Is that why you're giving me a pat on the like, <laughs> Just the calmest voice. I was just like, man, I'd, I'd never seen anybody say something like that to an official before. It made me laugh. As we speak with Hall of Famer Steve Toll here, and, and I want to get on to the coaching career, so maybe I'll ask this before we do, and we ask this of all our Hall of Famers, Stevie. If there's a guy, and, and listen, I'm going to be, I'm going to come clean here, man, and, and don't, okay. get, don't get mad at me, but okay. I, I really wrestled with my final selection as far as who I was going to vote for, and, and I, I went with Clarkey, and I was I was putting you in next year. I'm glad you're in, but I, I just want to put, put that out there. I don't want there to be any misleading. So I voted for Clarkey. I left you off. I'm really glad you got in, but if there's a guy that, that's not in the Hall of Fame right now that you think belongs in there, who would that be? Well, I, I definitely think Clarkey would be up there, too. And, you know, I mean, to me, to me, I think, like, from my, from my point of view, like, to me, guys get put in the Hall of Fame because they're the best of their position. And, like, I think, uh, I think at the time, I was the best of that position for yeah. a couple of years. No or, question. Or I, would say good, I would say a good three to three to five years where I was the best of that position. And I think Clark, you would definitely be one of those guys. And I mean, there's a, there's a lot of guys out there that you could put in like in my, in my, yeah, I mean, that whole defense that in Toronto could essentially go in at some point, Sandy. Well, Laddie, that's the whole like, thing. Like, I mean, Terry Bolin was, he, he, I mean, him and Glenn Clark played together forever or maybe a little longevity Clark, you wise there. But yeah, there's, I think too, actually, I was very surprised too that um, Cousins. I mean, he's got a couple yeah. defensive player of the year category there too. So yeah, there's. I mean, I think to me, all the guys could have been a vote in there anyway. So it it was tight either way for sure. Now, of course, the Panther City Lacrosse Club. We've finally seen the first bits of the team. Quite a few holes still to fill. Um, first name you picked, Matt Hossick, uh, or the Tractor as we call him here in Saskatchewan. Yeah. Good young kid that, to be frankly honest, is underappreciated because of the guys that are playing around him. Now that he's going to be the big name, how do you intend to use him and how do you, you know, anticipate his growth now that he is the big show? Yeah, no, I actually pretty much had that conversation after we took him. I called him the next day, and I actually coached him in Whitby Junior way back then. I was Jammer's assistant coach, so I obviously knew of him and obviously watching, but that's what I said. It's uh, I said it, but didn't say it like it's time to get out of the shadows of those other great D guys because you're a great D guy, and I'm going to be using you like they use Rubish and Corbeil. Like, you're going to be my guy, and I have total confidence in him, and like you say, on any other D team, he's a top three D guy. And that team, he's probably five, six, or seven just because they are so friggin' deep. It's unbelievable. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, you look at their roster. It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's it is ridiculous. And that's what we even, like, they were probably the hardest guy when, like, we did we did months and months before that of thinking who they were going to leave off because you're like, holy, holy crap, this guy's good. Holy crap, this guy's good. Holy, this guy. Like, we actually just like looking at their roster to see all their players. <laughs> Well, I, I, I mean, I I would think you would take a lot away from what you learned as a player, but also, you know, some time in Mimico there and now with, with St. Catharines at the junior A level. But it's different, Steve, being a head coach to go into an assistant coach. And I know there's a great relationship there with TK and, and Teeter, but how do you kind of adapt to that situation where you go from being the voice to being – that an assistant on, on a bench like that, is that going to be a tough transition for you or is it going to be kind of a three headed monster for you guys? Yeah, I, I think it is. I think it'll be quite, I mean, obviously my relationship with TK is going to help a ton in that situation. And I just think, you know what? And to me, 
it's going to be a lot less work. <laughs> you know what I, mean? <laughs> I got, I just got to worry about the defense. I don't got to worry about the offense and this guy, what they're doing and they're doing and all this other stuff. I can just concentrate on my D and getting them prepared and worrying about the 10 guys at the D door that I'm going to send out and who and what situation I'm going to use them compared to worrying about the offense. Are they getting off and all that stuff? I'm not going to say I'm not going to run down there and tell them to get off. <laughs> no, we've had, uh, <laughs> we've had some great talks and obviously, I mean, the thing is being a D coach with those two guys who are two of the greatest offensive minds in the game. I don't even need to bother. Even if I have something, I might whisper it in the ear and they might both say you're crazy, but you know what I mean? Yeah. We actually have a great relationship and we've had some great calls and some great meetings already. So I'm super looking forward to it. The opportunity to, to show them what I have and, appreciate for him for giving me the chance that's for sure well i'm not looking for the for the game plan but you know what kind of defense is steve toll going to coach there in panther city is it going to be a, a kind of a run and gun transition first or uh you know like stay at home and, and rough you up in the middle sort of stuff well initially it's funny you asked that question as well because initially when we first started the conversation we were going to be a serious run and gun team but then i think as you look at our picks and our trades I'm not sure if I think we might be staying a little bit, a little bit home, uh, playing a little tougher role. But obviously, I mean, like we said before, though, every kid can run these days, right? Yeah. We don't have our no offense to Pat Coyle and Terry Bullens, but they weren't running the floor back in the day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so Craig Gelsvik and yeah, yeah. Like they, I mean, like those guys are phenomenal, <laughs> the phenomenal tough mean D guys, but they're not running the floor anymore. So I mean, you look at a kid like Hossick. I didn't realize how many points he actually oh, had last year. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So, you well, know, he points like that. And you got Liam Patton, who's big, tough, mean, dirty, and runs the floor. You know what I mean? So, well, no, I, 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 think to... it's gonna be, I think it's going to be a good mixture. And, obviously, with our goalies, I can both throw the ball well, and I know them both well. We'll have to uh, – they're both young kids, and we'll see what happens. Well, do I dare ask the question? Is a guy you could have had in the expansion draft, he still isn't signed and maybe a free agent next week. Joey Capito. Mm, somebody he's, he's, up pretty good. he's a pretty good transition player, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's probably third or fourth in line behind me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he's at, I was with Colorado. Foot race, both of, of you guys in your prime, Steve Toll. Capito against Toll, end line to end line. Who wins it? In my prime? In your prime. In, my prim- in his in my prime, prime, in your prime. Uh, you know what? I want to honest, I'll be honest with you. I'll probably say he beats me by a foot, but I got a better scoring percentage. Oh. How's that? <laughs> I love it. I, love, I absolutely love it. And listen, I know uh, the OJLL is, has gotten fired up here, and and you got yeah. your St. Kitts boys going. I know you got a you played a game today. You're playing another one tonight. Give me a give me yeah. an update on the squad. How are things looking? Uh, you know, heading into the the meat of the season here. Yeah, it's uh, it's going. It's it, you know what is we've all like every. It's funny because we're playing four games in the weekend, and every it's honestly it's like qualifiers. It's unbelievable. Everyone is beating anyone. Like Orangeville upsets Whitby yesterday. Whitby comes back today, beats undefeated Mimico. Six Nations get crushed by Oakville. Then they beat us 7-4. So, honestly, it, everyone, I'm asking all the parents that just come out of midges, hey, what are your qualifying, what's our prediction here? Who do we got to beat? What help do we need? Oh, yeah. It's, but it's been, honestly, though, honestly, just to see fans in the stands yeah. here, because this is the first time we got it, and just to see, like, the boys on the field, on the, on the, on the turf. Like, it's unbelievable because – we actually were going to play our young guns, and I had guys like Tom Woody who played for the Nighthawks, and he called me up right away. He's like, Coach Toll. I said, hey, what's going on? You know, you, you, you want to come back? He's like, I want to put on that jersey one more time. I didn't get to go out the way I want to go. I want to go out wearing the jersey. I'm like, 
I guess you guys are in the lineup then. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's so great to see those 22 year olds get a chance that they, they did. Yeah. For, like, yeah. They got screwed for two years and to see them back and their smile on their faces, it's what it's all about. And you know what I mean? Obviously we want to win, but like I said, just seeing them on the, on the turf again here at the old track that Dalek sets us up with, to perfection it's unbelievable yeah absolutely hey uh stevie i'll let you go here but uh listen man congratulations on an, an exceptional hall of fame career let your buddy willie know we're, we're going to be calling soon say hi to the moose for me best of luck yeah. uh with with the athletics moving forward here and can't wait to see panther city roll out here in december man thanks for doing this hey thanks for having me guys anytime and i will tell the will dog i see him every day we have pints together so i'll let him know there you go there's steve uh, speedy steve toll nll hall of famer evan and like steve said in there and and like the best to do it for a good three to five year stretch in transition the guy was electric and i mean like he finished every time yeah it, you know he, he won the initial transition player of the year work had it been around earlier he would have had five of them easily and for those that never got the chance to see him, think Joey Capito and, like you said, maybe a little bit better scoring. Yeah, on steroids, it, man. The guy was putting up 50, 60 points in his prime as a transition player. It's completely ridiculous. He's in the Hall of Fame and well-deserved. Great conversation with Steve Toll there. We still have a half a program to go here, Evan. Let's get to break. Halftime. Quick sticks coming up in quarter three. Keep it right here. Lax Glass is back after this. This is NLL Hall of Famer Colin Doyle, and you're listening to Lax Class. Welcome back to Lacrosse Classified into the second half. Third quarter action is a go. Jake Kelly and Evan Schimenauer with you, and the NLL Warriors are with us as well. We're going to talk a little NLL Warriors here in Quick Sticks. A little quiet around the Raj this week as far as Warriors stuff goes. Lots of... News abuzz uh, with the Canucks. Man, they're making moves uh, with the draft and the expansion draft, trades, all sorts of it going on. But if you want to check up on the Warriors, follow them along on social media at LOL Warriors, Twitter, Instagram, or you can go to the website, VancouverWarriors.com. Information will be coming in the coming weeks here with ticket price, all that sort of stuff. It's, it's wow. just starting to crank up here for the Warriors, and I'm looking forward to seeing it all roll out. And keep an eye out in the transaction wire because they've got a bunch of signings to do. I'm certain they're going to be trying once free agency hits to convince a few guys to come home. We'll see what happens. Indeed. Well, why don't we start there with signings, Evan, because we have a lot of them. And I'm just going to get on a roll here, so bear with me. I know this... It's a bit of a futile exercise, but not everybody gets like the transaction wire emails like I do. And, and some fans like they just they they want to know who their team is signing here and, and they expect to hear it on Lax Class. So I'm going to deliver. Here we go. Georgia Swarm have offered the franchise tag to Dan Coates. And since I put that into my phone, Evan, Dan Coates has <laughs> rejected that franchise tag. Maybe right. we just start there and you can explain what happens next with Dan Coates and the Swarm. Uh, okay, so. And keep in mind that Mike Poulin was offered the franchise tag, too, and rejected it a couple of years ago. So because Coates is 34, he is allowed to reject the franchise tag. So by offering the franchise tag, he could have made 25% above league maximum. That's, that's the only reason you would offer to a guy that is 34 or older, so you can offer them more money. Um, by rejecting it, he can still sign a deal with Georgia. He could still 
but he could become a free agent next week. Yeah. And keep in mind. If that happens, he, that trade. He was the Zed Williams deal. Yeah. Like I'm saying, right. if that happens but, and they lose Dan Coates, that trade for Zed Williams suddenly becomes extremely lopsided for the Colorado man. I mean, Zed Williams was just an emerging player at the point. He isn't the Zed Williams that he was today at the time that trade was made. But, mm -hmm. yeah, it's going to be massively lopsided. It could go down, um, you know, depending upon where Zed ends up. But it could go down as one of the most lopsided deals in league history. Not yeah, because check of out, not uh, being a bad player. It's just no. Zed Williams was ceiling. Check out Ty Merrillax, our good buddy Ty Merrill, kind of broke down the – the specifics of that entire deal, including the draft picks that went either way with it all, including the, the Dan Coates and said, well, so check out Ty Merlax on Twitter and, and, and scroll his timeline because he breaks down that trade and what it could potentially mean should Coates not resign in Georgia. It's pretty eye-opening, I'll say that. So, okay, let's roll here, Evan. Uh, Halifax, Luke Magnum, Brad Gillies to one-year agreements. Panther City, Dawson Thede gets three. The Wings have signed Johnny Rannigan, three-year agreement. The Rocket, Daniel Balwajder. I hope I'm saying that right. Scott Delzato, Holichuk, Mazuka, Romacic, and Chris Weir, all to one-year agreements. The Firewalls, Jordan Durston and Johnny Pearson, one year. The Mammoth, Peter Durth to a two-year. And Josh Sullivan to a one-year. Halifax gets Brandon Robinson to a one-year agreement. The Wings have signed Alex Krepensek to a two-year. The Rush have signed Adam Shute to a one-year. The Nighthawks, Garitano gets one, and Mitch Ogilvie gets two. The Rush have traded just... This is an interesting deal to me, Evan, and you being a Sasky yeah, boy. To figure it out, yes. The Rush <laughs> have traded Justin Robinson and the 13th overall selection in the 2021 draft to the Buffalo Bandits in exchange for my boy, Danny Lintner, who just got married, by the way. Congrats to DL. And a second-round selection in 2023. This deal, to yeah. me, does not make a ton of sense, but... It's also Derek Keenan who does not lose too many trades, but it, it's a little perplexing, this deal, quite frankly. Okay, well, so to explain the 2021 first at number 13, this draft year is thin, right? So the fact of Derek Keenan trying to offload picks this year for picks in the future is perfectly within his wheel well at this point because he doesn't need them. And if he can get picks in future drafts that's going to help him, that's great. The thing that confuses me is twofold. Number one is out your back end in Saskatchewan, you got a lot of guys that are going to be free agents. And to trade away one of the young replacements yeah. in that area is a little strange. The other thing is Saskatchewan now has five righty four. Well, that's in the it. That's it. So for me, Evan, like, yeah, losing J-Rob. I don't know, like, he must have the plan that he knows he's going to be able to re-sign guys in order to let him go. And what leads me to believe why he's stockpiling righties is the potential to maybe offer up a package deal to Panther City to potentially get the tractor back. Either that or is he trading up in this draft into that top five? That's yeah. possible. I think too. there's more to that deal than what we're seeing on paper right now is where I'm going. Let's continue on, Evan. Because he went to the, you know, he went through the point of protecting Marshall Powers, right, right, yeah, and you know, Marty Dinsdale's the only guy that isn't signed on that side, so maybe that has to do with Courier, Church, Mallory, Lintner, Dinsdale, a lot of lot of right hand. All right, 
San Diego have signed Danny Logan to a two-year. The Mammoth have Pat Aslayan to a two-year. Swarm, there, there's the Dan Coates uh, rejecting the franchise tag. I just didn't read it before I said it. Tara Finko to a three-year agreement for the Halifax Thunderbirds. Holden Katoni and John Wagner get a year with Rochester. The Rush have signed Cam Dunkerley to a one-year, so they got shoot and dunks under contract for a year each. Uh, do the Rush. No Evan Kirk yet, though. Toronto Rock have signed Billy Holstrauser to a one-year, and they have qualified Mitch DeSnew per Section 7.1A2 of the CBA. Those are all your signings over the last week in the National Lacrosse League. Again, Evan, I've seen these videos coming in from over at Victoria, BC's best. Have you seen the latest edition where this guy does like a windmill, no looker? Like, what are the these kids have absolutely stones like the size of cantaloupes to be trying? Like, it's incredible these goals and these kids. This kid has another year of midget lacrosse left, and he's scoring goals like John Grant Jr. Okay. Here's what I put it down to: We've had what. Eight, 16, 18 months of no lacrosse, right? Yeah. Kids have been sitting at home, they playing around with their stick, and they've had nothing better to do than to see what the heck they can actually pull off, right? Now they get the chance to actually showcase what they've been messing Yeah, and I guess like they don't have a coach that's going to yell at them if they don't execute because it's kind of like a showcase event. So if you're going to try stuff like that, I guess that's the time to do it. Uh, I want to get a quick shout in to my man, Sakani Baker. And of course the tribe called red for their continued support of the podcast here, providing the beats, the intro, the rejoiners, if you will. Uh, so shout out to Sakani and a tribe called red. Speaking of Sakani Baker, Evan, uh, he was out there balling at Harry Jerome arena, checked out a game at Ladner just over a week ago, went Friday night out there to the North shore to check out the Indians against the pioneers. Sakani was playing, and I got to say, the atmosphere in there makes me miss playing in that arena so much. That Like, there were so many drums, uh, myself included. My drumming is getting better with every game, I might add, Evan. But the atmosphere in Harry Jerome was spectacular. The Indians actually got down 5 nothing out of the gate there. Bouquet was a little shaky to start and then settled in. The Indians come back and they win this game 8-7 in overtime and send the home crowd home happy and another game coming up on Tuesday out there on the shore. I'm going back. It It's a fun time watching lacrosse. And a couple of good lines. Like the Pioneers lineup uh, out there in Ladner, their power play was like Robert Church, Eli McLaughlin, Logan Schuss, uh, Cody. <laughs> like it, the four out of five guys were NLL ballers. And it's good entertaining lacrosse here between these two clubs. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, these old barns are slowly getting replaced, and the new ones don't have the this low roof. That yeah, tight corners, small anymore. floor, steep stands, and just like the drums just echo like crazy in there. It's so cool. So I'm looking forward to going back to that. Uh, the MSL, Evan, has, has fired up here. Not all the teams, no Peterborough in there, but they're playing a little showcase classic series, and the track is going to be a busy place as they got the MSL going. And they got the OJ going. There's game like we just talked to Stevie Toll. Four games in a weekend here for a bunch of junior teams. And it's been quality lacrosse. You can check these games out on YouTube under JVI Sports Network. Uh, Patty yeah. Gregoire was calling some games. Lacrosse boss Matthew Carrick was calling some games. And these are fun to watch. And it's always a great, uh, great arena to watch them in at the track. 
well, even the RMLL, the, the junior B circuit there, they held a, a North and a South division mm-hmm. title instead. And where the, the winner, I think, believe how to go through six games in four days, something like that, to win the, the junior B title. Wow. So it was, it was a heck of a grind for those players. And speaking of the BC Junior A lacrosse league, I don't know if you were speaking. I'm going to speak about it right now, though. And they have a, a summer showcase going on as well. And I'm just looking at the the standings here so far, and it's pretty interesting, man. Like you see Nanaimo at the top at four and one. Shamrocks come in in second place at three and one. There's the Burnaby Lakers, Evan, after six games, sitting in third place at four and two. I can't, I cannot even remember the last time that the Lakers won four games in a season. So they've made significant improvement under the coaching tutelage of one Russ Hurd. Bellies three and two, Saints four and three, and then oh look, way down there in sixth position are the Coquitlam Junior Adnacks at three and three as the Islanders and Thunder round out the standings here. But you know, like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the Adnacks have clearly come back to the pack a little bit, and the rest of the pack has clearly moved forward a little bit. And I'm I'm okay with it, man. Like I'm happy to see some new blood up at the top of the standings right here. A little more parity in the BC Junior Lacrosse League. The Adnax got their work cut out for them. Yeah. Well, you talk about four wins in a season. St. Albert Miners, they would. The only time they'd, they'd ever get wins were against the Edmonton Blues in the uh, Rocky Mountain League for years. They're six and zero right now. They just swept the SWAT in Saskatoon this weekend. So there's your RML update. Mm-hmm. And just to add on to it here, people kind of asking, what's, what are they going to do for play? So mainland teams will all play in a playoff. First round quarterfinal, top two play for seeding as one and two, three and six, four and five will play for semifinal se- seeding in a best of three. The second round semifinal will be one, four against two, three, series to be determined. Final round from the semis will be determined as well. Island teams will play an additional three-game series, dates to be determined as well. So everybody's getting in and a chance to to kind of make it to the top of the heap there yeah. in BC, which that, unique year, I don't mind it. Too. Yeah, no, it's good. Speaking yeah, of, the, of – sorry, go ahead. Rocky Mountain League, what they're doing is, is that all four teams are going into a round robin with the top two teams from the round robin going to the final. There you go. Um, one more junior lacrosse note here, Evan, and I, I called a tier two, which is essentially junior C lacrosse game last night from Bill Copeland Sports Center. And it was between the Lakers and, and the Delta Islanders. And I don't know how far into the game it was. It must have been close to half the game. And all of a sudden I kind of realized that's a blonde ponytail coming out of that helmet. And there was a girl playing junior lacrosse with the boys and i was like oh that's pretty cool and it took me a half a game to even realize that there was a girl out on the playing surface which you know like i say with this with the utmost respect she did not like i didn't even notice that there was a girl playing so obviously she fit in and did not look out of place playing with the boys which is the ultimate compliment if, if you if you know what i'm saying here but then i go on to find out that her little brother is also playing on the team as a midget call-up. So I have to believe here, Evan, that this may be lacrosse history 
where a brother and sister combination are playing junior lacrosse together on the same team. It was awesome. Well, well maybe we'll let the historians out there answer your question for you, see if, see if I, there has been another. I'd be shocked if there was. Me too. Me. Like, I was like, I can, like, I do not recall this ever happening. I don't know if it's ever been done before. So I, I really wanted to make sure I mentioned uh, Rylan and Laurel Wisebrod, who uh, play for the Tier 2 Delta Islanders. And, Listen, I, th- I think uh, she's going to Jacksonville State, I want to say, University in, in a month or two. So they have a chance to play a couple of more games together. And I just think this is like one of the coolest things ever for a brother and sister to be able to play some junior lacrosse together is pretty cool. A couple more quick sticks here. Uh, I saw the CBLL, the Colorado Upstate Box Lacrosse League, Name their championship trophy after one Randy Mearns. I love this. Uh, kind of honoring Randy Mearns a little bit. Upstate New York there, who's a legend in those parts. Uh, more of this, please. Naming trophies and awards and stuff after Hall of Fame players. Absolutely. And, you know, we can go back into the debate as to what the NLL awards should be, who they should be named after. But I, I would imagine probably within three or five years you're going to see it happen. Yeah, it's. I mean, Les Bartley's already there, and I think you know you're going to see the John Tavares and the Gary Gade and whoever else uh, award Jim Veltman awards start to creep in here. Last thing I have on Quick Sticks, Evan, is of course NLL 35 moments. It happened back on March 22nd of 2019. The National Lacrosse League reaches its 2,000th regular season game, Mammoth taking on the Warriors. They win 11-7 in Vancouver. Ryan Lee leads the game with seven points. Dylan Ward, 41 out of 48 in the shot totals. Game 1,000, Colorado beat Minnesota 11-9 back in 2007. So what'd that take, Evan? 2007, 2000. That took 12 years, 1,000 games. It took 20 years for the first 1,000. It took 12 years for the second 1,000. Interesting. And my guess is it's only going to take six or seven for the third Interesting. because there's just that many more teams and as they continue to expand schedule's going to get the longer schedule's going to extend beyond 18 games yeah there's it should only take probably about six seven years off to get to the next thousand um this will sound a little weird but i'm going to do it anyways because we recorded our stallion before we recorded quick stick so i forgot to do a, a little stampede read in quarter four so i'm just going to drop it right in here in quarter number three Quick Sticks this week brought to you by Stampede Tack and Western Wear, where they have long been known of having Canada's best variety of Western cowboy boots. But did you also know they carry a great selection of CSA work boots as well? Boots approved for the job site for both men and ladies, Blundstone or Boggs, or for all-day comfort, there's the Work Hog for Men by Ariat. And for the ladies, brand new, just in stock, the CSA-rated Rivier by Ariat is available in both Polon and lace-up versions. They also have Canadian-made CSA style boots for Boulay or Canada West. You can find all the boots you could ever imagine at stampede.ca where Shopping Online is still shopping local. Check them out. That is Quick Sticks for episode 142. One more quarter to go. It's our Stampede Stallion of the Week. We're back with it next here on Lacrosse Classified right after this. Hey, this is Sean Evans from the Rochester Nighthawks. You're listening to Lacrosse Classified on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network, your go-to source for all things NLL and box across. 
Welcome back to Lax Class. Into the fourth quarter, we are here. Final frame. That is our uh, our block for the Stampede Stallion of the week. But before we get into that, I want to make a couple of requests here. Uh, don't forget to follow us on social media. We got a Facebook page. We got an Instagram page. We got a Twitter page. At Lax Class. At Lacrosse Classified is where you'll find us. Uh, email for you non-social media types, lacrosseclassified at gmail.com. And wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, make sure you hit that subscribe button and just throw down a quick review while you're at it. That'll help us a great deal. So please do that. Thanks for uh, continuing to support the podcast. Now, Evan, uh, I hope you got your hat on and your spurs, your chaps, all of it, because it's time to head for the Stampede Stable. <laughs> We have We have reached the Stampede. I know you're not going to do it, Evan, so I'll do it for you. Stampede Attack in Western Wear Stables. Here we are. My selection this week, Evan, and uh, I figured it was time to make the goalie union happy and add another goaltender to the Stampede Stallion. This week's Stallion of the Week None other than 35-year-old from Kitchener, Ontario, Mike Poulinwall. Mikey Poulin, welcome to the stable. You are this week's stallion, and I'm just looking at the stats here for Mike Poulin, Evan, and they, like, I, where do you think Mike Poulin, when it's all said and done, ranks up or stacks up against some of the best to do it in the National Lacrosse League? I, he's up there in my books. Yeah, uh, it's a guy that you don't think as the number one guy in the league. And I don't know if you've ever thought of him as number one. You've thought of him in the top five all the time. But think back to the world championships. And Gold medal right? in that. We, I mean, were, yeah. we were surprised first off that he was chosen. But then we were really surprised when he was the starter. right? When you've got Kristen Del Bianco and you've got Dylan Ward, and he was the guy that proved himself out there, right? He was, but I also think this, Evan, that you know Dylan Ward and and, and the Phenom are going to have more opportunities to win more gold medals as starters for Team Canada. This that 2019 tournament could very well be Mike Poulin's last hurrah with Team Canada, and I think they felt confident enough, no matter who they stuck in net, they were going to win that game. And but the elder states, he earned it, no question, he earned this. But I, I think there was some of that thinking along the lines too. Well, but one of one of these guys that I'll say this is one of the most brilliant lacrosse minds out there. And if you go back, go back in the playlist in Lacrosse Classified. We've had him on before. You're going to get a total education just listening to his interview. Um, right now, it appears that he's handling some form of a an assistant GM role with the Swarm. We saw him handling the draft the last go around and probably getting to pick his eventual replacement, which could be two years from now, could be five years from now, for all we know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a brilliant situation the Swarm have right now. You've got one of the best in the game who can take his time to teach, who might be one of the best in the game in the future. Yeah, um, Grooming and, him, grooming him for, for maybe yeah. life after playing, right? Exactly. And... Mike Poulin is not going away from the game of lacrosse in a couple of years. He's going to be involved long-term. 
because he's just too good at the business and the philosophy of lacrosse to be gone when the playing days are over. Absolutely. I Listen, listen just under 9,000 minutes in the NLL, a career record of 94 and 56. So you're, you're almost like two to one victories. Save percentage just under, well, just under 780. But I'm looking at the record here, like, Early in his career, 02, 03, 101, didn't get a lot of playing time until he became a full-fledged starter in 2010. Then it's 11 and 5, 10 and 3, 9 and 7, 12 and 5. He had a down year, a couple of down years in Calgary before being shipped to Georgia, but then the stats pick right back up again. And of course, the championship season as well. And that's really what put the Georgia Swarm over the top to get that ring that they we're building towards they needed a bona fide starter they go out they get mike pool in and there you go there's the championship for the swarm and the reason he falls under the radar so much is when you think georgia swarm you're thinking the other side of the ball yeah right that's that's where that's where the focus is but the fact is even those years where georgia was all offense no defense poolin had to hold the door for them to even have a chance because they were putting out 17 goals a game but without him, they don't have a chance even with 17 goals a game. And maybe what personifies a Stampede Stallion more than anything else, Evan, is is these guys, like Mike Poulin, highly regarded as one of the best teammates you'll ever have. Like, And that's a, that's a rarity, I would say, for goaltenders who are, are sometimes a little bit out there, kind of keep themselves, or you know they just hang out with the other goalie and they're a little bit... Quir- Mike, like everybody loves Mike Poulin on their team. Everybody. Absolutely. So there you go. Mike Poulin, another goaltender into the stable. It, I mean, it, it just grows every week, Evan, and we're happy to join, uh, have Mike Poulin join the Stampede stable here. And of course, the, the Stampede Tack Stallion of the Week brought to you by Stampede Tack. Wherever your summer adventures may take you this summer, be sure to include Stampede Tack and Western wear. Out there in Cloverdale, they have you covered with a great selection of riding and Western gear, whether it's, you know, you're riding on a horse or maybe a motorcycle. They got whatever you need for both of those fun events. Speaking of covered, Stampede Tack also also has a wonderful array of hats that not only do they make you look good, but they keep you protected from the sun and those harmful UV rays, man, like you do not want to be outside without a hat right now. And uh, just so happens, my, my daughter Maya's got a birthday coming up. Guess what is on her list for one of her, like she, you know, she gives you, here, daddy, this is what I want. And she gives me the big list, right? So then I get, I got to pick a couple things. Cowboy hat. She wants a cowboy hat for her birthday, and I know just the perfect store to go pick one up. Out there in Cloverdale since 1966, Stampede Tack and Western Wear, corner of Highway 10 and 180th. Or I might just do this, Evan. I just might hop online because it's still shopping local at stampede.ca. Uh, well, we do want you to go down to the store and put on that uh, that cowboy outfit. Once well, I I mean I might have to get a you know a smaller size in, in some of those things, Evan. Uh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I don't think those ones would fit me in it. But this time we need a real horse, not the fake yeah. one. We need a real horse yeah. this time. Well, you, you got to time that up when when some of the ranchers uh, got their trailer out back and. Who knows? Uh, it could happen. We thank Stampede Tack for their continued support. Of course, the NLL Warriors and Associated Labels and Packaging as well. 
for sponsoring the podcast. Please support our sponsors. That's how you keep this podcast going. But this podcast is going off the air because we are now finished. Thanks to Steve Toll and Jim Shear for stopping by the podcast. And, of course, to you listening we can't do it without you. We, I mean, this wouldn't happen if nobody listened. So thanks for listening to Lax Class. We'll be back next week, every week, right here on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. But for now, we're out of here. For Evan Schemenauer, I've been Jay Kelly, and for the fastest game on two feet. And for the creator, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay classified.